0: All right, welcome to part number three in our series. We're going through the book, The Song of Solomon, verse by verse. This morning, we are looking at the session called The Art of Attraction, part two. And specifically, we're looking at what to look for in a woman. Now, last session was kind of directed to the ladies. And we talked about what to look for in a man. This session, we're kind of talking to the guys. And to the guys, what to look for in a woman. And the question for the guys is, well, what should you look for? What should you be attracted for in a woman? Who should you consider dating? And potentially, marrying? And before we find out what attracted Solomon to the Shulamites and learn from Solomon the type of a gal we should be attracted to, I want us to kind of highlight a couple qualities that Abraham held for choosing a wife for his son, Isaac. You don't need to turn there, but in the book of Genesis, chapter 24, Abraham determined that the time had come to select a wife for his son, Isaac. And Abraham called his most trusted servant to his side and and gave him the job to go out and find a wife for his son Isaac, and there were two qualities he was to look for as he went on in this mission. So Abraham's two characteristics to look for in a wife, number one, she is to be a believer. In Genesis 24, verse 4, go to my country, said Abraham, and my own relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. Abraham was saying, make sure she's a believer. Make sure that she has committed her life to God, that she's part of the family of God. The number one quality to look for in a wife is that she is a believer. She knows Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. This is a command to all Christians. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? The most challenging premarital sessions I have before I marry a couple, I'll meet with them, and the most challenging ones I ever have is on those rare occasions when a believer wants to marry an unbeliever. It's happened maybe 12 times in over 30 years, and I've done well over 300 weddings. But I have to share with the couple that, hey, I love them, I'm honored that they came to me, but I am unable to perform their wedding. Because the Bible prevents me from doing so. Because the Bible shares that to be unequally yoked is not God's will. This is God's clear will for a believer. That a believer would only marry a believer. Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, the Bible says, But if her husband dies, so if you're married as a Christian woman, and your husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. This is what the Bible teaches. So Abraham's saying the number one thing to find for my son is a wife who is a believer. Second, she is uh, to be a believer who acts on her faith. Abraham made it very clear to Isaac's wife that she was to leave her family and move to Isaac's location, much like Abraham left Haran for the promised land. In other words, Abraham wanted Isaac's wife to be a woman of faith that she'd act on her belief in God, that she'd step out, she'd risk, that she would follow the directives of the Lord. Genesis 24, verse 8, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. And as you remember, Rebecca was willing to go, right? The best spouse you could ever hope to marry is a faith-acting, dedicated, no questions about it, follower of Jesus Christ. If the person you choose to marry has a lukewarm faith or relationship with God, how lukewarm is that person's love going to be toward you eventually? A person can love you no greater than their love for God. Choose to be attracted to a believer and one who is living out their faith in a vibrant, active, undeniable manner where it's completely clear this person knows Christ and they're living their faith. James 2.26 says, faith without deeds is dead. Someone might say to you, well, I believe in God, you know, I was baptized, I pray, I go to church once in a while. Who cares? (laughs) Are you living for Jesus Christ? Are you the real deal? I mean, if there's a question mark, is this person the real deal? Why would you even consider anything further with them? The question is, are you totally sold out to Jesus Christ? Are they? The number one priority in choosing a woman that you would marry, is she a believer and full-blown committed to Jesus Christ? If not, move on. Look elsewhere. You know, a while ago, I ran into a guy who is part of uh, my youth ministry like 25 years ago when I was a youth pastor, and he goes, Pastor Mark, he goes, I remember one of the sermons you preached. I go, serious? I go, which one? He goes, it was on the type of person you should marry. I go, seriously? I go, what did I teach? He said, you taught three things. You should consider marrying and dating. Number one, a person who's the opposite sex. Number two, a Christian. And number three, an on-fire, full-blown, radical Christian. I go, that's awesome that you actually remembered that. Abraham's two characteristics to look for in a wife, she's to be a believer and a believer who acts on her faith. Nothing could be more important. That is the foundation, watch this, for a solid marriage, but watch this. It is the foundation for a solid romance. We haven't even got there yet. We have so far to go, but you cannot have a solid, biblical, romantic marriage unless you are a believer. This is like the beginning of what you need to build your future marriage on, that you get into the pattern of only dating a believer who's a full-blown believer because that determines everything in your future for your marriage for your marriage and your romance. Now what I found to be so attractive about Tracy when I first met her is this, she loved Jesus. And when I found out, you know, that she actually spent an entire summer, gave that up, by going to South Africa to serve the Lord on a missions trip, you know, after a senior year in high school, living in the dirt. I'm like, that's my kind of girl. (laughs) Jesus, you see, is attractive. And when someone is in love with Jesus, they are attractive. And they will be attractive. Watch this. For the entire duration of your marriage, 40, 50, 60 years married, it's Jesus who's the essence of romance. If If they're not committed to Jesus... Hightail it out of there. Why would you even consider that? Now, today we're studying the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. Um, and that was just kind of intro to get you thinking. But this book is about one couple, Solomon and the Shulamite. Eight chapters, eight scenes. And the scene number one, which we're in right now, is all about their attraction. And Solomon wrote the book. And he, he, he's married when he wrote it, but he's looking back on their relationship to the time when they first were attracted to each other. In chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, it records for us Solomon's now attraction to the Shulamite maiden. And Solomon gives us, right in these verses, four essential qualities that attracted him to her. So let's look at these. Solomon's four characteristics to look for in someone to be attracted to, date, and eventually marry. Number one, she is self-confident. Now, notice the first three words the Shulamite speaks about herself in verse 5, chapter 1. Dark am I, is what she says. Now, why did she say that? To understand the significance of that statement, we need to understand the most precious thing to an oriental woman is her skin. Even today, a woman's skin is so important, especially in the Orient. They'll, they'll often have umbrellas in the sun. They'll wear gloves on their hands to protect their skin. Women in that day prized the fairness of their skin. Their skin was seen as incredibly attractive as it was kind of pure and untainted by the sun. It communicated they were indoor girls, that they hadn't been out in the fields working hard in physical labor, abusing their body. Fair skin was a sign of femininity, especially back then. And she says, dark am I. It's a statement about the condition of her complexion. Listen to how she describes the darkness in chapter 1, verse 5, the end of it. She says, dark am I, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. The tents of Kedar, that was a Bedouin tribe back then. And their tents were made of this dark uh, black wool. The tent curtains of Solomon were this deep purple color. So the Shulamite was sunburned, dark and somewhat ruddy. And she's saying, my skin, it's been marred by the hot burning sun. And notice how she laments her situation. But then she shares the reason why she's been unable to take proper care of herself physically. Why her skin? Why was it so dark? Look at verse 6. She says, do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun, She says, my mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. But my own vineyards, speaking about her body, her skin, I have neglected. Now, most likely, these were her two half-brothers. So they all had a common mom. But these two half-brothers, they were angry. And we're not sure why. Maybe they were jealous because of the Shulamites' natural beauty. There's no mention of the father in the picture at all. Maybe he died or abandoned them uh, as boys and they were very bitter. Whatever the case, they drove the Shulamite mercilessly to hard labor in the vineyard in the hot burning sun. And the result, her skin was marred, abused, neglected. The point is this, we all have our flaws. We all have our uh, physical imperfections. And here's the question, does your lack of physical perfection, shatter your self-confidence as a woman. For some people it does. It's absolutely devastating. Notice again in verse five, and and take note of this important character quality found in the Shulamite that Solomon fell in love with. In verse five it says, dark am I, yet then she follows it up, yet I am lovely. Yes, the the Shulamite had some physical blemishes. But she believed, watch this, that she was lovely. She didn't have a self-esteem problem because beauty is much more than skin deep. And do you know what Solomon found attractive about the Shulamite? She was self-confident, watch this, in her appearance. Finally, a woman who believes she is beautiful even when she's not at her best. Solomon and guys in general find that attractive. Notice, she was self-confident conscious about her looks, she says, dark am I, but she wasn't devastated. She goes, I am lovely. Wow. Wonderful self-confident balance. Guys, marry a woman who even when she's having a bare, bad hair day, still believes she is beautiful. Because one day, watch this, her looks will deteriorate. And if her self-esteem is rooted only in her looks, she lacks the depth needed to sustain a long-term romantic relationship. Self-confidence, it's a wonderful quality to be attracted to. Guys, be attracted to, date, marry a woman who believes who believe she is lovely on the outside, but even more importantly, that she is attractive on the inside. Because 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 4 says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight." That's the first quality, to be attracted to in a woman. Self-confidence on the outside as well as on the inside regarding their beauty and their character. Second quality to be attracted for in a woman that you would date and eventually marry. She's obedient to authority. Now, this is such an important quality to look for in a future wife. The Shulamite had been unable to take care of her skin because, watch this, she'd been working hard in the vineyards. Why? Because she was obedient to her family. She worked faithfully in the vineyard. Watch this. Obedience, submission to authority is a principle from the Lord taught throughout Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men. Each of us, as individuals here, is under some sort of authority. For example, children are under the authority of their parents. Parents are under the authority of pastors and different civic authorities. Each of us are called to submit to someone at some time regarding something. Guys. Date and marry a woman who's obedient and submissive to authority. You say, how does, questions like this, how does she relate to and what is her attitude toward, like toward her teachers, her parents, especially her father? Before I married Tracy, I literally took a trip to New Hampshire because I wanted to see Tracy and how she related to her parents and especially Her father, in particular. You say, why? Because the way a woman treats her father is how she will eventually treat you. Every single time. If she can't submit to her father and is disrespectful to her mother, if she can't get along with her roommates, always check with her roommates, okay? (laughs) What makes you think that she's going to treat you The way God calls her to treat you, the number one command, give them the Bible to wives. If she can't respect her husband, I mean, can't respect her father, can't respect her mother, wow. My advice, choose to be unattracted to a woman who manifests rebellion to authority. If you see anger and bitterness and resentment and hatred and dark moods, acts of revenge, these traits are traits to run from regardless of how attractive she is on the outside. You say, well, she's not like that with me. (laughs) Trust me, if she acts this way toward others, it's just a matter of time. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but eventually she will act like that toward you because it's part of her character. Solomon was attracted to the Shulamite. She was obedient to authority. That doesn't mean perfect, but there's a pattern of obedience to authority. Your character, by the way, is most revealed when you are, watch this, mistreated. So when this gal is mistreated and all of us get mistreated, how does she respond to mistreatment? Look at the Shulamite, chapter 1, verse 6. My mother's sons were angry with me. Most likely, this was unjust, undeserved anger by her family on her how did she respond? Rebellion? Nope. But with obedience. I mean, what character? You see, all this is preparing. Her character is going to prepare her one day for an amazing romantic relationship with her husband. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, this is the number one command given to wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. That's the number one command given to wives for marriage. That is the essence of romance. And only a woman of character is going to live that out. So what should you look for in a woman? Choose to be attracted to a woman who is self-confident in her outward appearance and inward character and who's obedient to authority. Not perfect. But obedient to authority, third quality to look for in a wife, she is a servant, a servant. The Shulamite, she'd been unable to take care of her skin. Why? Because she'd been working in the field, in the vineyard. Why? Because she was watching? She was a servant. She's a worker. And we have so many examples of hard-working women in the Bible. You consider Ruth, who is the gleaner, Rachel, the shepherdess, Zephora, the shepherdess. Uh, you have. A woman of Proverbs 31. Wow! You read a chapter about a hard-working woman. Guys, watch this. Marry a woman who is a hard worker. The Shulamite was a servant, a generous giver, not a greedy taker. Solomon was taken away with her spirit of servanthood. And let me assure you, there's nothing as winsome, there's nothing as attractive as a woman with a servant's heart. That is your potential spouse, someone who is a servant. Here's some questions to ask. Is she quick to give to others? Is she quick to go the second mile in serving others? Is she quick to offer assistance? Is she quick to volunteer in the face of need? A servant attitude is so attractive. I'm so grateful. Uh, I saw in Tracy very early on, this beautiful servant that so attracted me to her. And even to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned and so drawn to, if you know my wife, she is such a servant. Guys, that is the trait you want to look for when you date someone and eventually marry. Because that is the essence of Selfishness wipes out romance from your marriage. Self. Lessness is the essence of romance. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're going to talk about this in the future. But, you know, just uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Tuesday, you know, is the, my day where I study at home for 10 hours. Tracy usually gets home around 5.30. She works at the church. And so I'm waiting for her to get home. No, no Tracy. And I get 6 o'clock. I'm a little concerned because I'm like, what's going on? So I get on my cell phone. Find, and she doesn't answer. And finally at 6.30, she rolls in. I'm like, honey, I go, are you all right? She's like, yes, big smile on her face. She goes, you know, there, a woman came to the church and she just, she had no food in her home. And so I took her to Safeway and bought her all this food. And then, then I, had to, I went to her home and it was so much fun just putting all that food away in the shelves of her house and just getting her set up. And, and I'm, I'm home. I'm like, come here. is who you want to marry, a servant. That's what we're talking about, that kind of an attitude. You have the privilege when you're dating to think through and build your convictions about who you should date, date and marry. And that, let me tell you, the Bible says this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. The greatest woman you could hope to marry is a servant. Jesus said that, that that is the greatest trait, a servant. At any given moment, we can live for self, others, or God. Marry a woman who lives for God, others, and last self. You find that woman, marry her. A selfish do-for-me-and-don't-ask-me-to-do-for-you person is not someone you're going to be happy with for a lifetime. Self-centeredness is the death blow to romance. Selflessness ignites romance. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Is that her? Is she like that? But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests. Is that her? She doesn't look to her own interests, but also to the interests of others. She's concerned about others. Men, what do you look for in a woman? A woman who's self-confident in her appearance, obedient to authority, dedicated to being a servant. Fourth quality to look for in someone to date and eventually marry. She has moral convictions, moral convictions. Now, listen to the question the Shulamite asks in chapter 1, verse 7. She says, tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midnight. She's talking to Solomon. She says, why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? You say, what's going on? Well, you'll recall that when the Shulamite first met Solomon, she was at work in the vineyard. And we're going to study this whole story later in detail. But she mistook Solomon for a shepherd. And Solomon came in disguise and he promised her all these lavish gifts and that he would return. And in this verse right now, she's in her mind wondering where she can find Solomon. She wants to see this guy again. She thinks he's only a shepherd. And she assumes he's with the shepherds and the sheep and the flock somewhere. And look at the end of verse 7. She says something very interesting. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? The image of a veiled woman brings up the picture always of a prostitute in the Bible. Prostitutes were veiled women in the Old Testament. And it was the common practice of prostitutes back then to put on a veil and appear at midday where the shepherds would hang out, and that would be where she would do her work. And the Shulamite was saying, I want to find you, Solomon. I want to be with you but I will not practice the immorality of being a veiled prostitute in order to find you. She would not sacrifice her integrity, her reputation, her purity to get a man. In other words, she had moral convictions. The story is told about a man who propositioned a woman at the bar. And this guy walks up to this gal, this very attractive gal, and he said, would you, uh, ma'am, would you sleep with me for $100,000? And she blushed, but she said, well, of course. And then he said, uh, ma'am, would you sleep with me, uh, let's say, for $100? And she said, well, wh- who do you think I am? And he said, well, we've already determined who you are. We're just negotiating the price. Wow. You see, the moral conviction of the Shulamite was incredibly attractive to Solomon. Finally, a woman with moral conviction. Wow. Wow. Solomon, you know, he's the king of Israel. He could have any woman he wants. Hundreds of women would gladly sacrifice their virtue just one night with Solomon. But finally, the Shulamite, let me tell you, this is who guys look for. A woman of character, refuses to follow the ways of the world. She refused to follow to where the shepherds were as a veiled woman because it might misconstrue her as a prostitute. A woman of moral conviction is incredibly attractive. You know, this principle, it kind of reminds me of the time that I decided to test Tracy's moral character. <laughs> uh, this is right before we just started the date, and Tracy was, uh, she was house-sitting, and, and anyway, I drove over there, and I was just getting to know her, and there were two of my friends there, and there were sort of three guys and her, and they had this hot tub in the backyard. And so uh, she'd never been in a hot tub, and I like, hey, let's go hot tubbing. So us three guys went upstairs, and we got changed, and she's getting changed in her bathing suit. And me, I, you know, if you know me at all, I'm into, I love joking, okay? The ring earlier, and uh, just, so I'm like, hey, guys, I got an idea. Let's all bring an extra pair of shorts into the hot tub. So we get into the hot tub first, sit down, put the pair of shorts in between our legs. And then Tracy comes in, you know, with the towel wrapped around her, kind of, a little intimidating, three guys, she gets in the hot tub and just sits down. And all of a sudden, you know, it's bubbling and everything, and all of a sudden I give the signal, we got all our arms like, and the three guys' shorts float to the top. <laughs> I wanted to see what she'd do. She jumped out of the hot tub <laughs> and literally ran for the house. I go, that's my kind of girl. <laughs> Passed that test. Guys, be attracted to a woman who has moral convictions. That is the key to an amazing romance. Guys, what should you look for in a woman? Be attracted to a woman who, as Abraham says, she's a believer. She's an on-fire believer. And according to Solomon, she's self-confident in her appearance, obedient to authority, a servant, has moral convictions. Let's talk about this at our table. Review the list of Abraham's and Solomon's qualities of what to look for in a spouse. If you were to rank the qualities in the order of their importance, how would you list them? Talk about it. Okay. Let me answer a very important question when it comes to the arts of attraction. And here's the question. How do you discern good character? Mark, I can discern, you know, level one attraction. I got that. But the character part of an individual. How do you discern that? Let me give you a couple principles that will help out because, I mean, hey, you just can't walk up to someone who appears to be, you know, great to you and say, hey, man, you're kind of hot, but, you know, what's your character like? Are you like some major creep case or what, you know? I mean, how do you get to know a person's character? So a couple principles. Number one, observe the person in stressful conditions. See, a great way to get to know someone's character is to observe what happens to a person, not when things are going great, but it's when they're pressed, when things go wrong, when they're mistreated, when things aren't going their way, when times are tough, when they get sick, when deadlines are looming, when cash is, is thin. And the Shulamite, in the midst of being very treated unfairly by her angry brothers, She displayed this amazing attitude of grace and dedication to honoring God and her family. See, it showed her character. So when the heat is on, does the person you're attracted to still respond like a believer? They say they're a Christian, but when the heat is on, are they? Do they trust God? Do they turn to God? Do they look to God for strength and direction? Do they pray? Do they live for others or only for themselves? Are they obedient to authority? Do they have moral standards, or do they just compromise so easily? Before I married Tracy, I wanted to see how she would respond to virtually every situation I could put her into, and I put her through the gamut. Why? Because it's in different situations and circumstances that character is revealed. Second, evaluate the person's reputation with others. What do others say about this person you're attracted to? You can fool some people some of the time, but not all the people all the time. What is this person's reputation like? You know, taking into account as many people's opinions as is possible. What was Solomon's reputation with outsiders? Chapter 1, verse 3, we studied this. Your name is like perfume poured out. His name was like purified oil. His character was pure That was Solomon's reputation, watch this, with the maidens, the ladies of Jerusalem. What was the Shulamites' reputation with outsiders? It's summarized in chapter 1, verse 8. Most beautiful of of women. That was the testimony of the friends, the women in Jerusalem who said the Shulamite was beautiful on the inside and on the outside. So my question to you is this. What kind of reputation does the person with whom you're attracted have especially with other Christians both of the same and the opposite sex does the person have a reputation for obeying god are they respected by your fellow Christians ask yourself questions like would i feel privileged to be seen by with this person in church would i love to bring this person home to meet my mom my dad my grandparents my family do you think one day you're going to have a relationship well, the husband or wife, is going to be disconnected to your family? I mean, what kind of relationship is that? Once this person meets those people, what do those people say about the person? Listen to that. When I traveled to meet Tracy's parents in New Hampshire to check them out, one night, Tracy's dad, Jim, turned the tables to check me out. He said, hey, we're going to go out to dinner tonight. I go, Cool. And he goes, we're going to meet with my mentor that has mentored me spiritually for the past five years. And I'm like, what's this all about? You're checking this guy out. And this guy asked me so many questions because Jim, Tracy's dad, was, who, what is the character like of this person? Will the person I most respect in life give the thumbs up on who is potentially going to marry my daughter? Wow. Let me ask you that question. What does the person you most admire say about the person you're attracted to? You need to ask them that question. How do you discern good character, observe the person in stressful conditions, evaluate the person's reputation with others, especially the person you most admire? Get their feedback. Let's talk about that at our tables a little bit. Which of the two principles is most effective for discerning good character? And what additional principles would you add to the list? Take a moment, talk about that at your tables. Okay, let me wrap up this kind of session here. We're talking about the art of attraction by answering um, a very important question that will kind of segue us into the next session that we're going to talk about, which will be two messages on the art of dating. And here's the question. When is a guy or gal ready to date? Now, I get this question a lot from parents, but I also get this question a lot from teenagers. So let me just say it this way, being ready to date has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with maturity. And let me say this, and I, you'll think maybe I'm joking, but I'm being honest. I know 40-year-olds who are not ready to date. I know teenagers, many teenagers who are ready to date, it has nothing to do with date. Parents, you've got to be able to measure the maturity of your kids. So here's the statement, you are ready to date when you have the maturity to date as evidenced in the following three areas. When you can check the box in these three categories, check, 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 my son or daughter. They have these three things, boom. In my opinion, I think according to the Bible, they're ready to date. Number one, you're ready to date when you have the maturity to write out a biblical description of the type of person you will only date. You will take the Bible and you'll write a description of who you will date and who you won't date. In other words, you have clear convictions, not just like written down, but convictions in your heart about the type of person you will and will not date. Before I dated Tracy, I wrote out a biblical description of the type of person I would and would not date. Why would I ever compromise that list? My dating, but also by marriage, and my whole future romance is predicated on it. Write out the list and never compromise that list. Now, the last session, we studied the Shulamites' list of what to look for in a man. Today, we're studying what to look for in a woman. Abraham had his list. She's to be a believer. She's to be a full-blown, committed believer who acts on her faith. Solomon had a list. We've studied it this morning. She's self-confident in her appearance. She's obedient to authority. She needs to be a servant. She has moral convictions. You see, you're ready to date when you have the maturity to write your own list. And I would say, follow it up, you can convince your parents that list is in your heart, and it's a biblical list. And by the way, Song of Solomon is given to us so that we can have God's best for our romantic relationships 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the future. Like I said, this book was written so that when we are single, we can learn the art of attraction. And then the other arts involved in romance as well. It's so important. This is the foundation right here. When you get the art of attraction down, this prepares you then for dating and courtship and your wedding and and so on and so forth. The second evidence that you're mature enough to date is this. You are ready to date when you have the maturity to get your parents blessing. That takes maturity on the part of a young person to get the blessing. And when you're mature enough to go, I want to get this, guess what? That is a great sign you're ready to date. Now watch this. If you are afraid of your parents' or your guardian's blessing, that they won't give you their blessing to date that person, why are you even thinking of dating them? You don't have much maturity. That's kind of foolish. Do you know why God has given to you your parents? The Bible is so clear. Ephesians 6, 1 to 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise if I obey my parents? That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long, romantic, awesome life. I know so many adults who would put their hand up right now and just say, I wish I would have listened to my parents. I was rebellious and I went out and I was attracted to, and I dated, and I slept with, and I married, and look at my life now. And the promise here, I, I forsook this promise. Now, God is able to redeem that, and God is so good. But if you're a young person, let me tell you, God has given you your parents to protect you, and to guide you, and to help you have God's best for marriage and romance, and it's awesome. Your parents love you. They want God's best for you. Before I dated uh, Tracy, I got my parents' blessing. I got my pastor's blessing. I got my staff's blessing. I got everyone's blessing. Honestly, I did. Why would you want to hide that in a corner? Are you afraid? If you're afraid of the person you're dating, why are you even thinking about that? Don't you want God's best? If you got God's best, everyone's going to go, yeah. Yeah do it. That is what you want. You want the blessing. And when you're mature enough to get that applause of others, let me tell you, you're ready to date. Number three, evidence you're mature enough to date. You're ready to date when you have the maturity to watch this know-how to date. You say, how do I know how to date? This is what we are going to answer in our next Two sessions as we transition to the art of dating. We're going to study three keys to absolutely successful, amazing dating from the example of Solomon and the Shulamite. Now, let me say this. This is where it gets good for you who are married. Because some of you who are married go, okay, Mark, great, attraction, been there, done that. I would say this. If you're married, you need to continue to grow in your Christ-like character. Because you're more, you're like, the more you're like Jesus, the more attractive you become to your spouse, And if you let that part go, remember, the physical downward slide, right? But the inner character of your Christ-likeness makes you so attractive and romantic to your spouse. But then in addition to that, you need to know, watch this, and I'm talking to you right now, some of you who are even older than I, if you stop dating, if you lose the art of dating in marriage, your romance starts to slide you do not want that. You need to go back. You need to discover from Solomon and the Shulamite the essence of what dating is. I can't wait to get into it because it's going to help those who are single, but it's going to help those, all of us who are married as well. And I hope you will be with us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of attraction. You you use attraction to bring us to our eventual spouse, Lord. Lord, Thank you for this art of attraction that we see modeled in Solomon and the Shulamite. And Lord, we've studied, we've seen what to look for in a man, what to look for in a woman. And I pray that you grant each of us discernment, especially those who are single, Lord. I pray that you would reveal to each man what to look for in a woman. And to each woman what to look for in a man. I pray, Lord, I I see young people here and there's young people watching on video. I pray that you would give each one deep convictions about the type of person they should be attracted to, date and eventually marry. You'd bless these convictions and that these convictions would lead them into God's best for their romantic relationships. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Who makes it possible. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Awesome.